Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 169 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Miracle. Hi, Jacob. How you doing? I mean, I sure I sure missed you last week. And I was missing you too. How was your uh, show's journey up until the uh, northeast there into Vermont? <laughs> it was good. Vermont is super gorgeous. Um, The foliage was lovely. We actually had a tree house, so we were surrounded by foliage. I loved every second. Burlington is a really cute city when we went there. I hear they are very proficient in making coats. (laughs) I've heard that. Only weird part is that the population, it was either 94% or 96% white. That surprises you in Vermont? I don't know. Vermont, It's a a little weird, but. (laughs) It reminds me of that joke in Wayne's World where they're like, and now we're in. Delaware. And this, I got, that's about as good as I can do. I can't think of a single thing about Vermont. Don't they have trees there? Something to do with trees in Vermont? You just, you you know your stuff. I, I am. You're very prolific well, in I just did, about everything. I did spend a couple of years as the head of the Vermont tourism. <laughs> the only probably misstep was like we're sleeping, you know, in the woods in this treehouse that is mostly windows and i was watching like true crime stuff at night which really you know maybe not the greatest choices it gives you the scares for the for the rest of the night but i mean the true crime genre is experiencing i feel like the hugest boom ever right now oh everybody loves them everybody loves it it really comes as no surprise i mean there's podcasts documentaries tv shows we're all addicted to learning about the darkest (laughs) and really like labyrinthian excesses of the human psyche i don't know why we are drawn to it no nope. but we are it's why a and e basically just lives on first 48 and forensic files reruns over and over and over again top rated network that's really weird i mean the, the good thing is that if you're into it there's plenty of fresh exhaustively researched pieces that you know come out and populate the shelves especially in the past few years um and readers have really fixated on so many different harrowing and fantastic accounts so what we're going to talk about today as we prepare prepare for the final week oh, it's of, coming up. of scary October. Ooh, the scariest of October. So this will be your chance to grab all of this stuff before Halloween, scare yourself. But before we talk about any sort of true crime, books, or movies, Jacob, we have to take a segue. Oh, we do? Okay. I like <laughs> where this Because a couple pods ago, you recommended a new horror film, and you're like, oh. you have to watch it before it leaves HBO, and I'm going to be super real, didn't trust you at all. Well, well you shouldn't, don't, because don't you- Don't trust your I'd, movies. I'd say about 80% of the movies I recommend, you hate, so it's so, totally understandable. Jacob recommended Malignant, <laughs> and we need to have a short discussion about it. So this is James Wan. It's um, the man right there, best directors in Hollywood. I mean, he cut his directorial teeth on really intense horror movies like Insidious and The Conjuring. But his latest horror outing leans more into like the loony cartoon <laughs> sensibility that I know he brought to like Furious 7 and, yeah, you know, it, things that I don't watch. A little more popcorn-y, we should say, when okay. it comes to that. In Malignant. I like how you're laughing before you I just He tells a much smaller in scale story than these action blockbusters and one that doesn't fit together by any basic narrative measure. But when it finally gets where it's going, it devolves into a goofy, nonsensical, hilariously enjoyable final act that feels like it could have just been yanked from a different movie it is 
rarely scary for a horror film. No, not at all. But it's outlandish bits. I mean, they didn't have them by accident. This was all so planned so that when it culminates in scenes that are so ludicrously over the top that I was literally like fist pumping and cheering <laughs> and had like wheeze induced laughter that, that is the appropriate reaction i out loud like started laughing when the twist came out and i was like you got to be kidding me and the I, twist I loved every second is ridiculous we, we are not going to spoil it no here. we're it not going to spoil too it crazy guys don't even look anything up it's better not to i will just say jacob and this won't mean anything to listeners the scene where towards the end when a chair is thrown oh the, the best was, dude crying it was so good so malignant is seriously like a laugh riot um, by design and then when it slows down it can be more thoughtful because it does have themes of family and abuse and trauma um, it doesn't really materialize into things that are super meaningful no it's not like you're not going to be pondering about those questions when <laughs> no. you're watching this but <laughs> there's cartoonish there's wailing and thrashing and cdi so violent. cgi grotesqueries that Oh, I, I love to do it. It's one of my favorite movies of the year already, man. Like just, it's going to be on my top 10 list for sure. Just to how wild that movie is. You, I guarantee you, if you have an idea what this movie is, you are incorrect. You don't. I mean, maybe a more serious version of this film existed in some point in the development process. Maybe. But the version that wound up on screens, just the unabashed focus on the sillier elements is what truly makes the film worthwhile. They, they lean into it hard. They're like, they don't make, apologize for nothing. They're like, it's all in there. Go watch I, it. So I text my sister and I was like, you have to watch this movie. It leaves HBO tomorrow. You have to watch it. And she was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm alone tonight. Can I watch it alone? I'm like, you won't be scared. <laughs> You'll be a little sad that you don't have someone to share the experience with. She did watch it, and she was like, that was ridiculous, and I loved it. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> so it's all you can hope for. If, if somebody recommends this Halloween to what, go see Malignant or Summon Theaters or rent it, guys, go immediately. Honest, first things first. He's right. You you have to do it, and then go, go see I, I know some people Halloween hate kills. it, but how can you how can you hate it? Oh, I don't understand it. People that don't like this movie, I'm like, there's something wrong with you. You just have to, like, chill out. Just chill out, and you'll you'll enjoy yourself. This this guy knows what he's doing, guys. (laughs) Just go along for the ride. You're going to have a ball. Oh, so much. I'm glad you liked it. I finally got a good one for you. So much so. So, okay, that was just our little diversion. (laughs) We're going to get in now to some of the biggest and most popular true crime books that are coming from me, and then, you know, whatever Jacob's doing over there. I can never be quite sure. As we always say, uh, if you have to choose between the Two of us always go with Michelle's <laughs> books on that. So, okay, so here's some of these books, and they're kind of lengthy descriptions, but, you know, I think that it hooks you more to have an idea of what a book is about because there's so much to read. I want to know exactly what I'm getting. So the first book I'm going to talk about is called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan. Okay. So it's kind of, you know, we know Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. These are names that we've grown up with, we've always known about. Oh, sure. Super notorious. Um, But most people have never heard of Israel Keys. Have you? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, this is one of the most ambitious and terrifying serial kiss, hi, killers in modern history. Okay. The FBI considered this person's behavior completely unprecedented. Ooh. So described by a prosecutor as a force of pure evil, um, Keyes was a predator who struck all over the U.S. So he buried kill kits 
Okay, cash weapons and body disposal tools in remote locations all over the country. Okay. And over the course of 14 years, Keys would fly to a city, rent a car, and drive thousands of miles in order to use his kits that he's buried all over. He would break into a stranger's house, abduct his victims broad daylight, kill and then dispose of them within hours and then he would return home to alaska resuming life as a quiet reliable construction worker devoted to his daughter okay hmm. all right this guy seemed like he kind of figured out how to I serial mean, kill. yeah so this journalist maureen callahan who's the author she first heard about him in 2012 and was really captivated by how a killer of this magnitude could go undetected by law enforcement for over a decade and so began a project that you know as all of these do really consumed her life for the next several years as she uncovered the true story behind how the FBI ultimately did catch keys and then trying to understand what it means for a killer like him to even exist. I mean, that's, I mean, the guy thought it all through. He like planned it ahead of time, had his stuff ready to go. He knew to not do it anywhere in your own neighborhood. He's flying around. It's like, I just really like killing so I'm oh. going to like fly and do it. So Callahan really takes you on a journey in this book into the chilling and nightmarish mind of this relentless killer. Um, and it goes into like the limitations of traditional law enforcement. So you want to scare yourself silly for Halloween. I mean, it does beg the question, how many more of those kill kits does he have like buried around that's the country? really interesting you have a partner is there other people that are going to start doing this now oh, i mean geez. who knows i smell a uh interesting horror movie coming up in the oh future. i mean 100 percent. i'm surprised we haven't heard <laughs> J- more james yet, wan's but... working on the script for it right now it's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right what kind of stuff do you have all right so speaking of uh since we mentioned malignant and otherworldly terrors i got one it's called untouchable that deals with everybody's least favorite former movie producer the weinstein fellas oh. so this is the first film that's going to come about the ongoing Me Too investigation into Harvey Weinstein. Um, it's directed by Ursula McFarland, and her film details the sexual abuse allegations against Weinstein, uh, who was found guilty of rape in the third degree and of criminal sexual assault in the first degree. Just that's the only worst, dude. That's only here in New York, so he's he yeah. recently been sent back to California to have to go face a litany of charges oh, out there, gonna too. It's going to be bad there. Oh, it's going to be a circus whenever the heck they start doing it again. Um, but this one kind of dives into the history of his allegations. Um, they have some actual interviews with some famous actresses, uh, including Patricia Arquette and Paz de la Huerta, okay. who were big time into the investigation and uh, testifying against him. Uh, guys, if you, you have to have an idea what was going on with Weinstein, and it's really going to put a damper on any of the movies he was involved in because you're just going to look at him and just feel gross. Yeah, this is definitely horrifying in a whole different way. Um, but if you're looking to get like a companion piece, because obviously Law & Order SVU has done a lot of episodes on kind of Harvey Weinstein analogies, um, and it, you know, comparisons. Uh, Ronan Farrell put out a uh, gripping novel, Catch and Kill, that came out around the same time dealing with this issue. Oh, yeah. Um, so you can catch them all, like kind of put them all together and get kind of the whole story as it stands now. If you want to talk about an abs- a piece of absolute human garbage, uh, Weinstein yeah. is, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein is just about as bad as it gets. That's appropriate. Oh, just ugh, everything about this guy makes your skin crawl. So yes. check out the movie, find out some details and know why you never want to hear that guy's name again, period. Okay. I, li- I like, um, so another book, this is called American Kingpin, the 
epic hunt for the criminal mastermind behind the Silk Road by Nick Bilton. You know all about the Silk Road? I know what the Silk Road is. Yes, I like where you're going here. And for people who don't, I think you're going to be like, what was happening that I didn't know about? So this is just one of the most unbelievable true stories about a man who built a billion dollar online drug empire from his bedroom and definitely almost got away with it. So in 2011, a 26-year-old programmer named Ross Albrecht launched the ultimate free market, the Silk Road, and it was a clandestine website hosted on the dark web web. where anyone could trade anything. Anything you wanted, guys. Drugs, hacking software, forged passports, counterfeit cash, poisons, and all this is free from the government's watchful eye. Organs you'd want to transplant that may or may not be your own. That stuff's all on there, available if you need it. So it wasn't long before the media got wind of this new website where anyone, not just teenagers and weed dealers, but terrorists Mm -hmm. and black hat hackers could buy and sell contraband detection free. So spurred by public outcry, the federal government launched an epic two year manhunt for the site's you know, elusive proprietor with no leads, no witnesses, mm-hmm. no real clear jurisdiction. Can't really search big on um, the sales because Bitcoin was used for a lot of the purchases. Absolutely. So the, all that they knew about whoever was running the site was that he called himself the, the Dread Pirate Roberts. So the Silk Road ballooned into a $1.2 billion enterprise and Ross embraced his new role as the kingpin and enlisted a loyal crew of allies in high and low places. Um, All is like, they were like addicted to the danger and the thrill of running an illegal marketplace. And, you know, as their customers were who were buying heroin on this site. So through his network, he got wind of the target on his back and he took all these drastic steps to protect himself including ordering a hit on one of his former employees. And like right as he was making plans to disappear forever, the feds raced um, kind of against the clock and ended up catching him. Um, So this book is drawing on exclusive access to a lot of the key players in this um, and the two billion digital words and images that Ross left behind. So there's a lot of stuff in here. There's a Vanity Fair correspondent, New York Times bestseller author. That's who Nick Bilton is. So, you know, he's an old hand at this. And the book really, it's like filled with twists and turns and a lot of the lucky breaks and unbelievable uh, close calls. So it's, you almost want to dismiss it for being too outrageous because it sounds like fiction, but it's super real. Um, It's really unforgettable. It has just an astonishing climax in the story, and you should definitely check it out. I mean, it's one of those underreported stories from a couple years ago about what was all going on there, how this could happen, what even is the dark web? How do you find the dark web? Who even knows? I don't know. I've looked for it just because I'm a curious person. And I was like, I feel old. I don't know how to find the dark web. I Googled how to find the dark web, and I'm like, I don't really trust the websites that Google tells me to go to. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, (laughs) I don't think it works like that. All right, so let's go to another uh, documentary here that people probably going to remember. So it's called Lorena. It's a Jordan Peele executive produced this four-part docuseries. Can you take a wild guess what this one's about? I don't know. It's one that's going to reinvestigate the deep moral and painful human tragedy buried apart of the Lorena Bobbitt scandal. Oh, do I remember? Yeah, I remember. For those who are young, all you youngins out there, uh, Lorena Bobbitt infamously cut off her husband's penis, Mr. John Wayne Bobbitt, 
uh, after she found out that he was cheating and then drove around and threw it into a field. I don't think that's a really accurate. I mean, he was like abusive. Well, yes, I was like, doing the, oh, okay, the shorthand I version. I got you. It, it was I mean, not. Entirely, it wasn't like an angry lady because he no, had an affair. Yeah. The way they put it on the news, it seemed like she just kind of got angry. No, it was that's how they tried they, to sell they, it. It was built up to it. Which is probably, it's part of what this documentary is trying to get into. So uh, filmmaker Joshua Rafi, I think it's how you pronounce it, uh, is, goes in depth. He wants to reveal the hidden truths in the case, uh, challenge the long-held narrative that surrounded the event, which is, you know, combined with what I just mentioned, where she just got angry one day and overreacted to it. Yeah. And um, it, gives, it all gives a fresh perspective from both Lorena and John's perspective. So it's not just a one-sided documentary. They actually get his thoughts and feelings on the whole thing and both of their ideas kind of evolved a little bit to try to fight back against the way people viewed it spoiler alert they did find his appendage and he got it back and everything seems to be fine yes everything seems to be fine he's got a story that's certainly a story to tell at (laughs) like halloween parties that's a bar story (laughs) (laughs) that's the bar story of all bar stories let me tell you um but you know it became a huge media thing. It, oh, it's yeah. still people talk about it to this day. It's going to be in pop culture. It's going to come up on Trivial Pursuit forever. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, but this one is just, it wants to challenge your narrative and get you the whole story. I mean, this is a not an important event, but definitely a memorable event. Sure. And this one just kind of wants to tell you what exactly went on and then, you know, let you know everything's not exactly as clear cut as it may seem. You like wah, that? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We'll be your own. I week. think it just shows you, too, that true crime can just be the ideas are more fiction than fiction. Because you're like, yeah. what? That's no one's going to do that. Oh, I'm nope, it happened. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. That, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> um, OK, so the next one is a book called American Fire, Love, Arson and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hess. So this is about these arsons. They started on a cold November mi- at midnight. And it didn't stop for months. Mm. Night after night, the people of Acomac County waited to see which building in their neighborhood was going to burn down next, um, kind of looking at each other, you know, at first with compassion and then later suspicion because it was like every night yeah, a building or a house is going up in flames. <laughs> totally insane. So vigilante groups, you know, started... Sure you know, springing up and they're patrolling this really rural Virginia coast. Um, They've got cameras, they've got camouflage. Everybody's kind of losing it. Volunteer firefighters were just sleeping at their stations. Um, The arsonists seemed to target abandoned buildings um, and the local police were really stretched too thin to surveil them all. I mean, yeah. Because it's imagine. like a poor town. They're all over the place. Yeah, there's probably like three cops and a, like a dog that are working the whole town. Oh, there was like hundreds of abandoned buildings. And by the dozen, they were burning. So this um, has been declared one of the year's best and most unusual true crime books. Um, it's really, really excellent reporting by Monica Hess. She spent years investigating the story, um, emerging with really breathtaking portraits of the arsonists so which was troubled addict charlie smith and his girlfriend tanya budnick and tracing the shift in their relationship from true love to crime spree and then hess also conjures like the once thriving coastal community which was decimated by 
a punishing economy and then increasingly people being suspicious of their neighbors as these culprits were at large which also destroyed them in a totally different way i mean there's nothing that's going to cause like stress and not want to invest in a town when random buildings are starting on fire oh my god like Totally. So also in the story, it kind of is the history of just arson in the United States, which which is really interesting. Um, it's not just for insurance schemes anymore, everybody. Yeah, some people just want to set stuff so, on fire. So, yeah, some people just want to watch the world burn. Um, it's too late, I mean, too late in the day for them. I can't decide person. if it's even more depressing, though, that it's a land that's already half gutted before now it's just constantly burning. So I, it's just like depressing all in all. Yeah, I kind of would have felt better in a weird way if it was like somebody who was like oh i own these lands i need the money to build it up I'm yeah something you're just like, like yeah. burning stuff some some old mafia it. game or something but it's actually much more depressing than that. yeah uh all right next one i'm gonna go with uh is called i love you now die the <laughs> commonwealth versus michelle carter do you remember the michelle carter case no i don't think so all right so this is uh aaron lee carr is uh made a documentary for hbo and uh what this one is uh michelle carter uh she was found guilty in 2017 uh precedent setting uh criminal trial popularly known as the texting suicide case so this was a case where um she had a boyfriend at the time um don't have his first name his last name car so what ended up happening was they broke up and then she started sending him text messages about how he should kill himself you know kind of bullying and doing that kind of stuff oh my god and he eventually did i hate this chick so then she was um, charged with manslaughter and you know she kind of goes against what most people would say was the usual typical thing you know pretty privileged female white you know who never held a weapon or did anything physical but uh, some people were trying to argue that just like bullying or hitting people on the phone like that does it wasn't enough to be considered manslaughter but it's like well you keep doing it you're suggesting people do it you're putting the thought in their head and pushing them to it maybe it should be um it was rare because usually in these kind of cases, the culprit is a male. So it's not really, it's usually a male to female kind of thing. Yeah, no, the and whole thing was, was very interesting. female to male kind of one. Um, so this one goes, it starts going into depth. It's a two-part documentary series. So, you know, they definitely have time to stretch it out. Um, but it gets into the debate about uh, digital technology, uh, social media and mental health and the effects that the two have on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way we have to reevaluate mental illness with social media and Internet components added in these days. So it raises a lot of interesting questions. And again, something that people don't really think about when, you know, your kids are on your phone all day. You don't know what they're reading, what people are saying to them. It's been a real uptick um, in the last couple of years of like teen related suicides or self-harm Yeah, depression is at like an all-time high with teenagers that they're linking directly to their screens. Facebook and Instagram are causing body image issues for teenagers around the country and Issue. And they know it, and they're yeah. directing them towards it to but, really gross times. But I'm sure that rebranding is going to fix oh, yeah. all of our problems. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an interesting idea. It's a good commentary on where our society is these days when it comes to the internet. And just something about don't don't be bullying people, guys. Don't be a jerk. There's no reason to do it. It's just not. Yeah, just don't be don't be like this, Michelle. None Michelle of our Carter listeners. Lady. None of our listeners are like she's that. She's the she's the worst, and I hope she's in jail for a long time. I really don't I want mean, to hear I, any I, I hope so too. These stories are literally just 
more horrifying than anything else. Way scarier than Malignant. Yeah, we're, we're going to jump back into some old school ch- in, in cold blood and talk about some relaxing truth. <laughs> back in the day. Um, okay, so another one here is a book called Last Call, a true story of love, lust, and murder in queer New York by Elon Green. Okay. This is a really... It's terrific, but a super harrowing true crime account of an elusive serial killer who preyed upon gay men in the 1990s. Um, so, you know, it kind of starts like you're, you're in a bar in Midtown. This is like the summer of 1992 in New York City. Um, and, you know, they're just like, oh, the piano player is playing. Everybody's having a good time. They sure. see some guy in the corner. He is very forgettable looking. He's bland, um, inconspicuous, not at all what you would think a serial killer looks like and that is what he is though and tonight he sets his sights on a gray-haired man and this is not going to be his first victim nor is it going to be his last so we kind of jump right into it and the last call killer which is what he was called preyed upon gay men in new york in the 80s and 90s and had all of the hallmarks of one of the most notorious serial killers ever yet because of the sexuality of his victims the sky-high murder rates, and the AIDS epidemic, his murders have been almost entirely forgotten. Mm. Like, no one's ever talking about it. So this is a super gripping true crime narrative, like I said, and it's telling the story all about the last call killer, the decades-long chase to find him, and at the same time, it paints a portrait of his victims and a vibrant community navigating through threat and resilience. And I don't even know how gay people survived those two decades it's too much how they survived up to this point period how, like how all is human anyone in new york city at that time it just seems incredibly difficult but to be like oh and there's a serial killer out there yeah, just like oh randomly okay, great pick, picking people up at the bar you can't trust anybody you're going home with who knows what's happening i mean here. in all sorts of ways so yeah this is this is really interesting um and i'm was just really I mean excited is the wrong word but super interested in it because I'd never heard of it how can you be this prolific serial killer we've never heard of it yeah feels exactly bad. You, you kill three people like in New York like in other parts of the country and it's national news exactly you kill a whole, have a whole bunch of people in a certain community just because they're not as popular you don't hear a thing about yeah. it so no it's it's not good stuff it's like Mindhunter season two all over again man oh, I, I, I did see that Fincher came out and said that he feels that if Netflix viewers pressure Netflix enough for a season three that they'll cave so we got to start we got to start pushing them jacob yeah unfortunately i believe we were two of the 20 people that watch Mindhunters, according to no way really yeah people not a very popular show which is unfortunate because it was spectacular but it was spectacular um we're pretty much running out of time i just want to say please read the book the feather thief Beauty Obsession and the Natural History Heist of the Century by Kirk Wallace Johnson. This guy was flying the coop for a while, am I right? It's two. I got two. But it is about someone who stole hundreds of bird skins. Bird bird skins from a museum. Mm. They were collected like 150 years earlier by a contemporary to Darwin. Um, and oh. then escaped into the darkness. And this guy ends up finding out about it and is like... Why would someone steal dead birds? Great question. Like, what happened to this person? What happened to the missing skins? So it's just like such a random true crime story. I feel like I have to mention that that one. That is pretty random. It's super, super random. But anyway, we're out of time. Jacob, plug us up. You want to know what would be a real true crime in the city of Buffalo, Michelle? Hmm. If you 
did not visit one of our libraries all across Erie oh, County. There are 37 branches spaced out. Come on in and stay high. We are back to our regular-ish hours, everybody, so come on, check it out. Uh, we also have a website, www.buffalolib.org, where you can see what's going on in your local library. Check out what books we got coming on, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at AllBookedUpHot, and let us know what true crime books you are checking out these days. Okay, here's a couple of facts that are truly horrifying. Oh, okay. Because I'm, I'm they're, for they're about real killers. So did you know that while being interrogated, Ed Gain asked for a cup of coffee and a slice of apple pie with cheese on top, which years later, Travis Bickle and taxi driver ordered the exact same meal. I just Fun. found that very interesting because they're like, well, this is the creepiest meal that's ever been. That, that Ed Gein story, man, that dude is just all about giving Hollywood ideas, let me tell you. I mean, truly. He's, oh, his character in... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Everything is scary. Okay, so Pee Wee Gaskins, this is the most prolific serial killer in South Carolina, used to drive around in a hearse with a bumper sticker that read, We haul anything, living or dead. It's a little on the nose, but it's, all right, guys. It's just too much, so, man. Can we stop naming people Pee-wee, everybody? <laughs> that doesn't help. That never helps. Any, nobody with that name Pee-wee has ever... Pee-wee and Gary, I feel like, is one. Pee-wee um, and Gary, okay. How about that Ted Bundy used to work at a suicide prevention hotline? Which, there's a horrifying thought. Like, going to be pulling that Jake Gyllenhaal in that new movie that just came out. It's basically the same kind of deal. Okay, then. And the last one is that the FBI estimates anywhere between 150 and 2,000 active serial killers in the U.S. Whoa, guys, can we, like, like tighten up that range a little bit? What do you mean <laughs> 150 to 2,000? That's like... Any any of that number is, is distressing I'm, to I'm me. I'm sure but. it's somewhere in there, but <laughs> yeah. you could, like, maybe part it down a little uh, bit, guys. Yeah. All right, you guys, that is it. We hope that you got a little, a little scared. Come and grab the stuff. Enjoy your Halloween, and we will catch you next time. Bye.